Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Terry Tucker has been an NCAA Division I college basketball player, a business executive, a police officer, a basketball coach, a motivational speaker, an author, and most recently, a cancer warrior. He and his wife have lived all over the United States and currently reside in Colorado. Terry, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Well, thanks for having me on, Andrea. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. And that bio alone, I kind of don't know where to start, <laughs> um, except that I love basketball. Go Lakers. Um, but uh, so tell us uh, about your cancer journey. Where did it begin? Sure. So in 2012, I was, among all the things you mentioned, I was a high school girls basketball coach in Texas. And I had a callus break open on the bottom of my left foot right below my third toe. And, and I didn't think a lot of it to begin with, because as I said, I was on my feet, you know, pretty much all day. But after a couple of weeks and it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist, a, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he did the usual, you know, I'll put some pads in there and things like that. And when that didn't work, uh, I went back and he took an x-ray and he said, you know, I think you have a little cyst in there. I can cut it out and it won't be any big deal. And he did. He cut it out. He showed it to me. It's a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. He's like, you know, I've seen thousands of these. No big deal. Put a couple stitches in and then in a couple of weeks, you'll be good as new. But I'll send it off to pathology. Well, that was the last two good weeks that I had in my life because two weeks Later, he calls me, and like I said, he was a friend. So the more difficulty he was having telling me about what was going on, the more frightened I became until he finally just told me, Terry, you have this very rare form of melanoma that only about 6,500 people in the U.S. get every year. He said, I think you should go to MD Anderson to be treated. He said, because I've been practicing for 25 years, and I've never seen this form of cancer. So talk about being afraid or scared or, you know, my emotions kind of ran the gambit. So I did. I went to MD Anderson. I had two surgeries to remove the tumor and all the lymph nodes in my groin. And then after I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to kind of help keep the disease from coming back. My oncologist used to say, we're, we're kicking the can down the road and hoping we have more therapies for you. So I was on those interferon injections for uh, four years and seven months. And I May took I stop them. you here? Sure. Would you please tell people a little bit more about interferon? Because it's not a pretty drug. No, I'll be happy to talk about it. Uh, it wasn't. For me, it was a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. And basically, it gave me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. So I guess imagine having the flu for two or three days every week for almost five years. And that's pretty much what I went through until the, or the, the drug became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees. <gasps> Fortunately, I was at a level one trauma center and they were able to stabilize me. 
before they sent me to the intensive care unit. But obviously, with that kind of toxicity, that was the end of the of, of being on the drug. That was 2017. Uh, I was put on the drugs uh, Opdivo and Eurovoy uh, to try to see if it would deal with the cancer because the cancer came back almost immediately after interferon was stopped. That didn't work. So in 2018, I had my left foot amputated. 2019, the disease came back again in my shin, and I had two more surgeries to remove it. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone, um, and subsequent testing found that my entire lower leg was full of cancer and that I had tumors in my lungs. So without doing anything easy, right in the middle of a global pandemic, I had my left leg amputated above the knee, um, could have nobody with me. I was the only surgery that day, should have been in the hospital for a week for therapy, was in for 48 hours and then sent home. So I am pretty much at a point now where I'm on a clinical trial for the tumors in my lungs. I am having some success with that. Uh, the tumors have shrunk by about 30%, but a doctor's not talking about a cure. He's really just talking about buying some more time. Wow, Terry, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> oh my goodness, wow. Um, take us back. You, The um, interferon stops working. I'm only familiar with it because my sister uh, took it very briefly, and it was horrible for her. Um, you're on Opdivo and your VOI, which is... For people who don't know, that's a combination immunotherapy that typically also has very si bad side effects for people. And then you said, did you say your your ankle was amputated? My after? foot was amputated. Your foot, your left foot. My, yes. Then it comes back, and now your your left leg has been amputated at the knee. Above the knee. Above, just above the knee. My my goodness, wow, I. I I can't imagine. And and so the amputation occurred last year during the pandemic. Correct. What was that like for you? You know, it, it, it was kind of scary. I, I mean, my wife and I have been married for 27 years. And when basically she pulls up to the hospital and, you know, out I go to get in a wheelchair and be taken to pre-op um, with nobody with me. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the only person in the pre-op area they had to get special permission to do the surgery because of the pandemic. Pretty much all, quote unquote, elective surgeries had been stopped. But I, I needed to have it done. I mean, the, the cancer was spreading, so it, it made sense to do it. Um, and, and it was, you know, you're just alone and you're kind of alone with your own thoughts and things like that. And, you know, everybody suffers. Everybody goes through pain, but it's your choice. And I, I'm trying to remember what the quote is. It's like, you know, pain is, is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And yes, I was going to go through pain, but I wasn't going to suffer. I wasn't going to let myself stay in that, oh, woe was me kind of thing. It's like, you know what? Okay, this, these are the cards that have been dealt. I've got to play these cards. I don't like it. This sucks, for lack of a better word. But you know what? I'm going to emerge better from this experience. The cancer is going to be gone from my leg. I, now I know I have tumors in my lungs. We're going to go ahead and attack those. So it was it was scary and, and it, it was it was more fun to kind of deal with my therapist because I had an occupational therapist and a physical therapist. And they were both kind of pulling their hair out because they're like, you should stay here for a week. And I'm like, yeah, I know I should, but I'm not going to. 
So you've got 48 hours to teach me everything you need to teach me to deal with this when I get home. You know, how to get out of the bathtub, how to get onto the toilet, how to, you know, how to do all this kind of stuff. And it was kind of a crash course in occupational and physical therapy, which was kind of fun because they were going nuts and I was just having fun with it. So you chose not to stay in the hospital longer. No, it was my doctor. Uh, He actually went to a a remote, small hospital instead of the University of Colorado main hospital where they took care of COVID patients. This was an outlying hospital where they did not have any COVID patients at all, but they still had all the the surgical suites and everything they needed to to do the surgery. And he's like, you know what? We'll go out there. We'll do the surgery. You'll be in for 48 hours and then we'll get you home. Like, wow. Sounds like a plan to me. So... When in all of this, I'm just curious, did you move from Texas to Colorado and why? I was diagnosed in Texas. Uh, I was fortunate to be in Texas and be able to be treated at MD Anderson uh, in Houston. And we moved because my wife is the primary breadwinner and she lost her job and she was able to get a job in Colorado. I was actually kind of lucky because my oncologist at MD Anderson had done her residency at the University of Colorado and was able to actually just kind of hand me off to a colleague of hers who she was very familiar with and who she had worked with. So the the transition was much more, was very seamless and compared, excuse me, compared to MD Anderson, University of Colorado is a whole lot smaller. I mean, MD Anderson is like its own city. Right. (laughs) What has this been like for your wife? You know, when I was first diagnosed, our daughter was in high school and my wife and I got together and we talked about it and and we made the decision that we would never lie to our daughter. I mean, we would tell her what was going on, obviously age appropriate for what she was able to handle. Now she's 25 year old adult uh, and is very active in this. And, you know, I always say I kind of got through this based on the three F's, faith, family and friends. And my family was incredibly important to me. And my wife is a is Norwegian by background. She's she's tough. She, you know, but the funny thing is, is she'd never, ever, ever been on the on the inside of an emergency room before she married me. You know, so all this was kind of, you know, blood and guts was like, you know, absolutely not. But now she I remember one time I had surgery on the bottom of my foot. She was standing there at the bottom of the table talking to the surgeon while the surgery was going on. So she's been incredibly you know, an inspiration, a support for me. I remember after the leg was amputated, my doctor wanted to start me on chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really think I want to do that. I think I've had a good run. I don't think I want to go through all that. And I remember coming home and I, I told my wife and daughter and they were like, okay, we got to have a family meeting. And so we have family (laughs) meetings and and we talk about it and I get outvoted two to one. So I ended up having chemotherapy because they're like, no, no, no. We're not ready to lose you yet. You're having chemotherapy. <laughs> so I find that very interesting. First of all, I love the family meeting. I love I love how the whole family is included. But tell us why you as the patient did not want to have chemotherapy. So when I graduated from college, um, I moved home to find a job. And, and I found that first job, but I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both, they're both living in the, in the same house with us, as they both died of different forms of cancer. And I, I remember the chemotherapy that my dad went through and the chemotherapy that my grandmother went through. And I'm like, you know, I, I asked my doctor, I'm like, is this, is this going to cure me? And he was like, probably not, but it's going to buy you some time. Well, 
I, I'm not real hung up on time. I'm not real hung up on dying either. I mean, it's, I found my purpose in life. I've lived that purpose. So dying doesn't scare me like it does a lot of other people. And so I, I, I didn't want to go through all that garbage of throwing up and losing my hair and feeling debilitated and, and just being a burden on everybody. I thought, you know what? I fought a good fight and dying does not scare me. So let's see what's on the other side of living. And so I, I was certainly at that point ready to to say, okay, let, let, let's move on to whatever's after life. But you got outvoted. I get, I did. <laughs> so I is the chemo part of the clinical trial you're in now, or is that something separate? It's something actually separate. The, the, the chemo actually helped uh, shrink the tumors a little bit. I, I, for the first time, my accident oncologist showed me the CAT scan photos from uh, last June, which was and I, I kind of looked at him, I'm like, how was I still alive? He's like, I don't know. He said, you know, your all your lungs seem to be filled with tumors. And now there are basically two tumors in each lung. And I had a, I had a CAT scan every six weeks as part of the trial. And uh, last time uh, they had shrunk by 31%. I had a CAT scan last Monday and they had shrunk more. You don't get a lot from the radiology report. You have to sit with the oncologist and actually measure the tumors and that. But the radiology report said the tumors had shrunk. So I'll find out on Monday how much more they have shrunk. Wow. So so is the clinical trial, is, is that where the chemotherapy is taking place? It's part of the trial? So right now I'm, I'm on a drug um, that mimics the drug interleukin-2, which is another absolutely nasty, horrible drug. Um that usually has to be given to patients in the hospital, sometimes in the intensive care unit. That's kind of how it you know, really wrecks your body. So what this clinical trial is, is trying to do is accentuate the good stuff that comes out of interleukin-2 and kind of diminish the bad that, that goes along with it. For me, it, there's a couple other people on it. And I remember one day I was, I was being treated and literally right across the hall from me in another room, was a man who was having the exact same treatment, the exact same dosage and everything. And I was shaking and throwing up and I had a headache and a fever. He slept through the entire thing. And I, I asked wow. my doctor, I'm like, why? And he said, the only thing I can think of is he said, all those years you were on interferon, your body understands, your body is primed so that when it sees these kind of drugs, boom, I know exactly what to do. And, and you want that reaction. That means your body's kind of revving up to, to fight the disease. Whereas with him, he had never had interferon or anything like that. So, and actually he's no longer on the study. The, the study didn't really help him at all. So for me, it was, but it was, it was just such a funny, you know, here I am going crazy and here he is sleeping, you know, and we're both taking the exact same drug. So I didn't like it, but I always say, you know what, for those, for that week that I have to be on it, for that week that it just wrecks me, it's helping me. So you can, you can take a lot of pain when you know it's helping you. Actually, I think that's a great example of just how our bodies react differently. Everybody is unique, right? Even if you have the same cancer, you're going to react differently to a drug based, based on, you know, you are just unique. You know, your medical history is different. Just so many different factors go into it. Um, I just want to better understand and help other people understand. So when you were outvoted, again, just love it. <laughs> um, 
to, so is interleukin uh, inter the chemotherapy that you were outvoted on, that you, that you moved forward and decided to do this, or you did chemotherapy and then now you're on this clinical trial or two separate things? Yeah, I, I did chemotherapy. And then my doctor said, you know what, I, the chemotherapy was working, but I think he felt it was coming to sort of the end of its usefulness. Got it. And we have an opportunity to put you on this clinical trial now. So let's go ahead and make the switch. And, and that's, that's what he did. So that was a bridge, really. Exactly. Great. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And how long have you been on the clinical trial? Since November of last year. Okay. So six months, six, right. seven months. Okay. Right. Wow. Wow. And how do you feel overall? Uh, the week I'm on it, terrible. I, I mean, I, I get the drug. It, uh, they've recently added the drug Keytruda to the clinical trial. You, you, had to, you had to go through at least four cycles of just the clinical trial drug, and then they could add Keytruda. I managed to get through there and was showing some positive signs, so they added the Keytruda. Keytruda is one of those things where they usually don't uh, scan you for about three months after they give it to you. I get scanned every six weeks. So the fact that, you know, we're not seeing some great, uh, you know, inc or decrease in the amount of tumor, I'm not really worried about that now because I really haven't been on it that long. I, I, this is all, this will be my third cycle on the, on the Keytruda, but it, it just wrecks me. I, I mean, I, I, I shake violently. I, I throw up, I have a headache. I, you know, I have a fever. I have all this kind of stuff and I have the greatest nurses in the world. I, I mean, I, I love them all to death, but they want to mitigate it. They want, they want to take me out of this. And I, I, I think I've convinced them finally now. It's like, you just have to let this ride. You know, you just have to let this. I, I mean, I shake very bad, but it's not painful. I mean, it's kind of like being chilled, although I'm not cold, but it's probably 10 times worse than the shaking you would get when you have the chills. So, but they want to help. And, and that's so great about them. But Sometimes you just got to let the pain and the suffering ride and realize that it's helping you. But they want to make it better, right? They, they do. Make, yeah. They do. Yeah. Wow. Is the, I don't want to say protocol because it's such a medical word, but is the, is the cycle, which I think is a more relatable word, is it monthly? It's every three weeks. Every so three I get weeks two weeks off in between to kind of heal. Um, the nice thing about this drug is that, you know, it, it does lower my blood counts and things like that. But usually within 48 to 72 hours, the blood counts, counts are back up to, to, to a normal level. So it, it's not like a lot of chemotherapies where, the, you know, it takes weeks to, to bring everything back in the, in the line. So that's, that's a positive. But the fact that it beats me up for that whole week, it takes me at least a week, sometimes 10 days to really kind of recover from it physically. The other issue is I get fluid retention because of the, of the fluid that they give me when I'm not usually on the, the, during the first week, I have to sleep sitting up because I, I have trouble breathing when I'm laying down and things like that. So they're, they're giving me Lasix and other drugs to kind of get rid of the fluid uh, on a more timely basis. And that helps. I don't, maybe one or two nights that I have to sleep in a chair, but other than that, it's, you know, it's just a little inconvenience you have to deal with. Familiar with Lasix. <laughs> that yeah. seems to be part of it. almost every person's cancer journey. Um, right. What was your before and after moment. And the way I sort of define that is this was your life before, this was your life after. 
you know, and that was really the diagnosis because I, I kind of feel like I was just like everybody else, you know, in the world. I was going about, you know, working my job and, and living my life and being with my family. And then you get this punch to the gut and now your life is changing. And, and you know, you kind of go through the gambit of, well, this can't, you know, you, this can't be happening to me. And, you know, then you get mad and, and then you, you know, you, you try to bargain with God about, you know, well, you know, if this isn't true or if you, you know, cure me, I'll do whatever. And you know, so you kind of go through all these emotions. And like I said, and I did, it, it didn't take me very long to get through them. And then it was, okay, now we're going to fight and, and we're, and we're going to, you know, the gloves are off and, and this is, this is me against you. And you want to invade my body. You want to take it over and you want to kill me. I want to get you the heck out of here and I want to live longer. So, you know, it's kind of like two heavyweight champions going at it and, and, and fighting with each other. Only I'm a whole lot bigger than these teeny little cells that are trying <laughs> to take over my body. I love that. And I love that you brought up uh, the emotions, right, uh, of, of grief that are typically, there's typically five and right. they're not necessarily in any one order and people don't necessarily experience all five, but you brought up anger and you brought up bargaining. So have you felt uh, depression? Um, have you felt acceptance? Um, and have you felt denial? Yes. Is <laughs> uh, <laughs> the short um, answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I have, I've really kind of, uh, I, 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 yes, I experienced all of those emotions. And, and I've kind of come to the point, and, and, and I've had a lot of time. I mean, it's been nine plus years that I've been dealing with this. And I've really kind of come to, what I call my four truths. And, and I'll give those to you because between my faith and these truths, these are kind of how I live my life. And, and they're just four sentences and used to be three, but I added a, a new one. So the first one is you need to control your mind or your mind will control you. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the suffering that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one, and this is the one that I just added, and if I'm, I'm looking down, I, I have a post-it note of these on my desk that I see every day. And it, it's what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And, and recently I had one of my nurses kind of come to me and she said, you know, Terry, this clinical trial is just beating the heck out of you. And nobody would think anything less of you if you quit this trial. And I tried to explain the truth to her and my faith in that. And I, and I said, you know what? My doctor may take me off the trial or I may die on the trial, but I'll never quit the trial because that's just not how I'm made up. I, I, don't, I don't quit things. I mean, I see them through, even if that means it's going to kill me because I realize that maybe this trial won't help me, but the data that they're gathering from me, because there, there were like seven or eight people that were on this trial. There's only two, two of us left that are on it. Maybe that data will help somebody 10 years from now, you know, when they perfect this drug and, and somebody will be able to, to live longer or be with their family more, have more family meetings and get outvoted and all that kind of stuff. You know, so maybe that'll happen. So I realized that this is something that I hope is bigger than me, that, you know, it's just not about me. There are other people that maybe I can help out there. You're amazing. Okay. I just, <laughs> uh, I'm going to make sure we get all those four truths uh, in, in the show notes um, in the transcript. And this is probably not the best person to compare you to, but I immediately 
thought of, and I had to look it up to make sure I got it correctly, but maybe the only quote that Nixon is remembered for, but it's very accurate. It's, a man is not finished when he is defeated. He is finished when he quits. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I try to approach this and, and believe me, I, I am not, there's no S on my chest. I do not have a cape, but <laughs> you know, and, 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 and as I've already told you, you know, yes, I cry, I get down, I get upset, I get nervous. I, you know, all the, all that stuff I, I do. But like I said before, you know, we're all going to have dark days in our lives, whether, you know, we fail a test in school, we lose our job, our spouse, leave, whatever it is. It's your choice. I mean, we all have those days, but it's your choice to stay. You know, we all get down, but it's your choice to stay down. And I just choose not to stay down. And and I look at every day as, you know, it's kind of the Navy SEAL model, motto. You know, the only good, easy day was yesterday. Every day is, <laughs> look, every day I didn't day know that is, was the motto. Oh, my yeah, God. Every day is day one, week one. You know, every day I go to therapy, it's day one, week one. We're going to hit it again. We're going to, we're going to. We're going to experience all this fun stuff again. And and these nurses look at me like, why do you keep coming back here? And, and I explain to you why I do. So they just, you know, they, they just don't get it. Or a lot of them don't get it. Some of them do. But oh God, that's, that's just the way it is. Sounds great. You're going to make me cry because you remind me so much of my my sister and her attitude. Um, what, what has been, during all of this, your worst moment? I, I think the constant... Uh, persistence of the disease that, you know, it's, you, you do all this five years of interference of having the flu, you know, every week for almost five years. And then it comes back. Okay. Now we got to try something else. And then we try that. It doesn't work. Now you got to lose your foot. Okay. Now we got to deal with that and learn how to walk again and all that kind of stuff, you know, and then it comes back again in 19. Then it comes, it just keeps coming back and, and the persistence, but it's like, yeah, you know, you can keep coming back. I'm not giving up yet. You know, I, I'm I'm still here. You're still gonna have to fight to win this. I'm just not giving it to you. What about your best moment? Overcoming each setback. You know, realizing that okay, here we are. Now, now I've got to play these cards. You know, it's a whole new hand that you've dealt me. Now I've got to play it. How are we gonna do it? What are we gonna do? And I'm sure my doctor is ready to you know hit me over the head because I'm constantly asking why. Why are we doing this? You got anything else? What's coming down the pipe? What else is in the toolbox? You know, and he's a very clinical, very deep thinker. I'm not that deep of a thinker. I'm just like, you know, what do you got now that's going to work? And and let's try it. So, yeah, I think just the persistence of meeting those challenges every single day. I'm going to disagree with you because any person who keeps asking why and how is a deep thinker. And I hope people hear this and learn from you that, yes, why are we doing this? That's your right as a patient to understand the why. And many, many doctors don't explain that part. They just do. And they don't. And, and, and you know, and that's fine. And I, I just don't want, I want my life to be about the decisions that I made, uh, not by the decisions that either I didn't make or that somebody else made for me. So I, I want as much information as I possibly can. I know people who just turn everything over to the doctor and say, you know what, you, you tell me what to do and I'll go ahead and do it. And, and I do that to a point because I don't have an MD after my name, but I also read, you know, and I, I get information and I ask questions and why are we doing this and why not that? And, and, and my doctor's great about explaining it, but I have to ask the question before it gets explained. What is one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey? 
that I was much bigger than the sum of my parts. That, you know, I, I had a nurse once ask me what it was like, you know, to lose your foot and to lose your leg. And, and I, I don't know how many years ago, maybe back in the 90s, there was a, a basketball coach by the name of Jim Valvano, North Carolina State, who won an award at the, the ESPYs, and he was dying of cancer, and he gave a great speech. And I didn't understand the speech at the time because I didn't, I didn't have cancer. And he talked about how, you know, cancer can't touch your mind, it can't touch your heart, it can't touch your soul. And, and I didn't realize until I got cancer that it can't. I mean, you can, I, I always joke with my, my orthopedic surgeon, I said, you know, you're, you're kind of piecemealing me to hell one body part at a time. You know, it's like, here's a foot, here's a leg. Here you, you know. and, and so we, we kind of joke about that. But I, she asked me what it was like. And I said, you know, I am so much more than the sum of my parts. You can cut everything off, but that's not who I am. I mean, that's not my soul. That's not my heart. That's not my mind. And here's one of my favorite questions uh, to ask. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I, I think I would have doctors spend more time, and I don't know how you do this, as patients. Because I, I think the doctors that, you know, that it, and even the nurses, you know, that, that get into that, that field because they had some kind of, of disease or, you know, some, some kind of traumatic event to them and realize that they either had a great nurse or a great doctor that helped them out or they had a lousy nurse or a lousy doctor that like, you know, I don't want to ever have anybody have that experience again. I, I wish... To be on the other side, to be in somebody else's shoes is, is a tremendous gift as far as I'm concerned, because I can't, I can't, you know, as a policeman, you know, when I was a policeman, yeah, I don't know what it's like to be homeless, but I always thought the people that I arrested and the people I come in contact with, the thing I always remembered is their people. There's somebody somewhere that loves them, that cares about them, that about them wants them to be taken care of. And yeah, I might have to fight them. I might have to handcuff them. I have to take them to jail, but I can never understand what their life is like. I wish that the people in the medical community could spend more time understanding what it's like to be a patient, what it's like to be humiliated, to be thrown up and snotting all over the place and shaking and sweating and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it sucks. But do you really understand how bad it sucks? And I'm not sure they do. I would agree with that. I know a doctor, an oncologist, who didn't realize how much he didn't understand until he was diagnosed with lymphoma. And he, he, I mean, here he is. He's an oncologist. He treats cancer every single day. And then he was diagnosed with lymphoma. And he said that first week was just a blur, even though he understood his disease, even though he already knew his treatment options. He was very familiar with lymphoma. He knew exactly which doctors to see, but he said it was the first time where he truly empathized with his patients versus sympathizing with them, right? Mm -hmm. He got it for the first time. He understood why when he would speak to his patients, especially those first few weeks, they didn't remember anything, you know, and it frustrated him and, and he really got it. It was like, it was like, oh, okay, now I understand. Like, you're just in shock. So you are. And, and, you know, it's funny you say that because I remember when I first went to MD Anderson for my very first appointment, I had a nurse and you know, I was taken into an exam room Had a nurse tell me what was going to happen. And then she left. And then a nurse practitioner came in and told me what was going to happen. And then she left. And then the surgeon came in 
and told me what was going to happen. And then she left. And, and, you know, it's funny because the dumb things you think about, I'm sitting on the table and, and I kept thinking, why is this crinkly paper on this table? It doesn't seem to serve any. I mean, they're telling me about what they're going to do to prevent my disease. And I'm like, why is this paper here? I'm like, you idiot. Thank God all three of them said the same thing because I finally got it at the end. So I can understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, you're awesome. Um, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Sure. Absolutely. All right. Let's do it. Beach, desert or mountains? So I've lived on both coasts and the Gulf Coast, and I live now in the Rocky Mountains. I'll take the mountains. Really? Okay. Yeah. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beach Boys. What is the one word that best describes you? Persistent. Ooh, and see, instantly tenacious came to mind. Instantly yeah. for you. Yeah. So, yep. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? The Impossible Dream from the Man from La Mancha movie. Love it. How about the last meal you want to eat? So I'd like to have a large, thin crust sausage pizza from Vito and Nick's at 83rd and Pulaski in Chicago. And I want to wash it down with a Schmidt's cream puff from German Village in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, I love the specificity of both of those items. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, gosh. Oh. All right, what about the last people you want to see? Oh, my family, without a doubt. And the last words you will speak. I love you. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I definitely want you to talk about your book. So last year, I, I wrote this book, Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Living Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And it was really a book born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former basketball player of mine who'd moved to Colorado. My wife and I had dinner with her. And I said to her, I said, I'm really excited that you're here because I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And she was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I don't know what your purpose is. I said, that's what your life should be about. Your life should be about finding that purpose. And when you find it, live it. And then I had a, an individual, a college student uh, connect with me on LinkedIn who wanted to know what he what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not only be successful in business or his job, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, work hard, help others get up early stuff. Not that those aren't important. They are, but they've been done over and over. I kind of wanted to go deeper. I wanted to kind of give him something that might resonate in his soul. So I thought about it for a while and I wrote these things down. And eventually I had kind of these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent it to him. And then I sort of stepped back and I looked at it and I said, you know what, I've got a life story that fits under that. Or I've got a, you know, somebody I know that would would emulate that that's that particular principle. And so literally I sat down at the computer between the time I had my leg amputated in April and the time that I started chemotherapy in June. And I started to build stories underneath each one of those principles. And I, and I had eventually in three months. I had this 120 page book that I wasn't sure it was any good. So I, I gave it to a friend of mine who's a former Navy SEAL and his wife is a former prosecutor and they're much younger than, than me. And I said, please read this and tell me if it's total garbage or if you think it's something that I should that I should print. And they both came back and said, you should get it published. So that's kind of the impetus of the book. And there are 
there are things in there. One of the chapters is uh, is about love. You know, love being the most important uh, word in any language. There's a chapter in there about you are the person that you're looking to become. You know, even though you may not be that person yet. There's a a, a chapter in there about how and and I've done this. You've probably done this. You know, people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done it. And 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 having that idea that, no, you know, if you have a passion for something in your heart, I always tell people, if you have a passion for something, whatever it is, and it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things that you did. They're going to be the things that you didn't do. And by that time, it's going to be too late to do them. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Lucille Ball has this great quote, and I think it's always attributed to her. Uh, where she says, I would rather regret the things that I did than regret the things that I never did. And, and that's so true. I, and I look at that as I, as I probably am coming to the end of my life. It's, I, the, the regrets I have are the people that I hurt and the things that I didn't do. They're not the things I did. Not the things I did at all. I'm glad I did them. They made me a better person. Terry, I am so inspired by you. And you. you are so remarkable. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do so? So I have a blog called motivationalcheck.com. Every day I put a new inspirational or motivational quote up. Every Monday I put the Monday morning motivational message. Try being intoxicated and saying that four times fast. (laughs) Uh, uh, Which is either a story or a video or something like that. Um, So, and and they're all short. I know people are busy, but if you want to go there for a quick shot of inspiration or motivation, uh, please check out motivational check motivationalcheck.com and you can also get access to buying my book through Amazon through that. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Terry. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.